Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin, and I welcome you as we explore important themes from the Bible and our faith. Today, I'm going to talk about our core beliefs as those who profess to be followers of Christ. I'm going to share those beliefs through my own personal point of view. Although this message comes from a definitely Christian perspective, I hope that all of you who have found your way to this podcast may benefit. The most commonly used profession of faith in modern Christian churches, and ancient ones for that matter, comes in the form of the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is typically employed during communion and baptismal services. It's composed of three parts. Part one is dedicated to God the Father. Part two, to God the Son. And part three, to God the Holy Spirit. Here's the most common version. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. During a casual conversation, a friend of mine recently shared with me why he doesn't attend worship anymore. He still professes to be a Christian, but he said, I can't stand to recite the creed. I just don't believe most of that stuff. It makes me feel like a hypocrite. Now, I can appreciate what he's saying. This creed presents a long laundry list of incredible claims. Beyond confessing that we believe in the Holy Trinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're professing many propositions about each. For example, God created heaven and earth, and Jesus died and was raised from the dead. Frankly, though, and not so much is said about the work of the Holy Spirit, but it's there. Like many parts of the liturgy that we perform when we worship, I recite the Apostles' Creed without giving critical thought to each one of its propositions, at least not at one time. There's just too much there. Besides, that's not the purpose of most of the things we do in worship. We perform them as an act of faith in such a way that we are bound together as a community of believers. Now, I strongly believed, believe that there is value in that. That's how I can worship without feeling that I'm a hypocrite, like my friend says he, that he does. What do you think, and how do you feel when you speak these words in worship, or when you read them now? But when I stop to study and think critically about what the Creed says, that's a different thing altogether. 
I too am sometimes challenged by the propositions it makes. Do I really believe this? Or does that really make sense? Well, I want to take a positive approach, so I'm going to reflect on the creed for a bit and give some thought to how it expresses my beliefs. I urge you to do the same. It's my suspicion that while we may differ on some of the details, that we'll probably end up in the same place as believers. First of all, the Apostles' Creed, as well as the other two creeds of the Church, the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed, are not biblical. You won't find them in the Bible. As far as we can tell, the Apostles' Creed was not written until the middle of the 4th century and wasn't used widely in the Church until the 8th century. Unlike the Nicene and Athanasian creeds, which were written by councils of the Church, the authorship of the Apostles' Creed is unknown. It was not, as the title suggests, written by the Apostles, but was probably developed gradually over the years for use in worship, to help people understand what they all believed together. It helped the worshipers stay on the same page, so to speak. The creeds are of human origin, and the explicit concept of the Trinity as God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is only mentioned in the last verse of the Gospel of Matthew in the Bible, which most scholars believe was tacked on a later date. This, however, does not invalidate or detract from the Creed's value at all. Although the Apostles' Creed is not biblical, there is nothing in it that is, not, that is inconsistent with or is not found in the Bible itself. The book of Genesis describes how God created the earth. The Gospels describe the birth, life, and death, and resurrection of Jesus. And other books of the New Testament describe the coming and the work of the Holy Spirit and the beginnings of the church. For me, the Apostles' Creed supports what I learned from the Bible, but not necessarily the other way around. So let's talk about it. Article 1. I believe in the Creator God. What do I draw from the first article of the Creed, which talks about God the Father and Creator of everything that exists, including you and me? What does that mean to me? As far back as I can remember, I've had a passion for science, in particular the life sciences. As a kid, I could lay on my stomach in the dirt for hours watching the intricately choreographed society of an anthill. Over the years, I grew an impressive insect collection, which I meticulously classified and labeled. At night, I would lay on my back in the wet grass, undeterred by chigger bites, and wonder at the unfathomable depths of the heavens. How? Why? Also, as a kid, I was required to go to church, Sunday school, and Bible school. And I enjoyed reading the stories of the Bible, particularly the magical stories in Genesis and Exodus about every, how everything came about. And there were pictures in my children's Bible about all of those stories. But I could picture the swirling chaos of creation. In my mind, I watched the animals march two by two onto Noah's Ark and I stood in awe before the burning bush on the top of Mount Sinai 
with Moses. Looking back, I realized that my simultaneous interest in science and religion predicted my future path in life. I studied biology in college and learned about the rapidly expanding fields of genetics and evolution, and I became a high school biology teacher. My understanding of how genetics functioned and how life evolved on Earth was rudimentary at best, but I knew that there was something profound and true, even if it was beyond my ken. But then I became a student of the Bible and went to seminary. I loved the beauty of the poetry of Genesis, marvelously expressing the creation from the tiniest organism to the vast depths of the cosmos. It says, In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth of swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly over the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters, and every living creature that moves, of every kind with which the waters swarm, and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In all of the science and bio biology textbooks that I have read, and all the lectures that I have listened to, I have never heard a better account of how everything, you and I included, came about. And that's what the first article of the Apostles' Creed means to me. I believe in God, the creator of heaven and earth, and me. Article 2. I believe in Jesus Christ. Of the three persons of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus is the easiest to understand and therefore to believe in. Jesus was a flesh and bone human being who walked this earth about 2,000 years ago. Nobody has seen God. The Holy Spirit is by nature invisible. But Jesus walked and talked. People saw him. The Bible describes his life and death in some detail. This teacher from Galilee is also mentioned in passing in some ancient his, by some ancient historians. There are few historians or biblical scholars who doubt the real existence of Jesus of Galilee. A straightforward account of the birth of Jesus can be found in the Gospel of Luke. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. 
I believe in this Jesus. I believe that Jesus was a great moral teacher and example. His life embodied God's love. Jesus was a faithful Jew and drew many of his teachings from his religion. For example, Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. For him, those two commandments were essentially the same thing. When we love and care for our neighbor, we are loving and caring for God. Jesus was a person of low status, but great impact. As he traveled around the region of Galilee and eventually in Jerusalem, he stood up for the poor and the oppressed. He confronted the authorities whenever he saw injustice being done. His enemies seldom had an answer for the moral teachings that went against their interests, so they plotted against him. Eventually, their plotting and collusion led to his execution on the cross. It was also well established that Jesus was a healer. He healed using physical touch and by inspiring faith in the sick and the infirm. He was not, however, a magician or sorcerer who took advantage of the vulnerable and the naive. There were plenty of those types of healers in his day. The power of human touch and faith were his tools and are still powerful today. Caring for the sick and the dying has been cast, passed down to us through the church. Though Jesus suffered and died on the cross, the tomb was not able to hold him. Within days, the power of his presence began to spread among his disciples. From the small numbers of the faithful persecuted who witnessed to his ongoing presence among them, sprang the church in all of its manifestations. The fact that billions still witness to the presence of Christ in the world 2,000 years later show that Jesus was not a failed Messiah. He was the embodiment of a loving God among us. Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Article 3, I believe in the Holy Spirit and a bunch of other stuff. Jesus promised that after he died, he would send his disciples the Holy Spirit. That fulfillment of the promise was recorded in the following passage from Acts, which is traditionally read on Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. In some ways, the Holy Spirit can be the hardest member of the Trinity for us to get our heads around. By definition, the Holy Spirit has no physical manifestation. The tongues of flame and the rushing wind that Luke used to describe the Holy Spirit in Acts are his best symbolic attempts he could find to communicate what the Spirit is like. Notice that he says that the Spirit was like the rush of a violent wind, and there were divided tongues as of fire. The Holy Spirit has been described as the breath of God.
Fortunately, we have all been endowed with a spiritual sensibility. For me personally, some days when I gather at the communion rail shoulder to shoulder with other followers of Christ, I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit within me and among us. It's everywhere. I come away feeling enlightened, inspirited. The Spirit has a subtle but pervasive presence. Often at the end of a particularly lively Bible study, I'll ask the participants to take a moment and feel how the Holy Spirit has been speaking through us. Paul says in Romans, We do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. I guess I should remind my friend, who feels like a hypocrite when he says the words of the creed, listen for those sighs too deep for words. There are a few miscellaneous but very important things that are kind of tacked on at the end of the creed. It says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And Catholic with a small c means universal. And the communion of saints. When I say I believe in the church, I'm saying that I trust in the church. And I do. Although the church is made of sinners and has a lot to repent of in its past, the universal church as a community of believers is essential to move humanity toward the kingdom of God. And the communion of saints is all of God's people, living and dead, who struggle together in love and forgiveness to get through this thing called life. And I certainly believe in the forgiveness of sins. If life has taught me anything, it's that it is possible for us to live together only if we are able to forgive. That was a central message in the life of Christ. Forgive, forgive, forgive. But the creed saves the best for last. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Now, everything I've been yammering on about is meaningless without this final sentence. God has provided me and you with this forceful demonstration that God can, so that we will believe that we are headed together toward a glorious eternity. Yes, I believe this. And I leave you with a final question. Do you believe? Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit keep you and bless you with love and peace. Amen.